CIB Today, the daily podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. This week, BC imposed measures to curtail activities to deal with the rising caseloads of COVID-19. It closed the Whistler Blackcomb Resort. It barred in-dining, uh, in-restaurant in dining and, and bars. Uh, it banned group fitness classes and decided not to lift restrictions on gatherings and places of worship. For three weeks, these measures are going to be instituted. There is a larger picture, though, that's emerged about how provinces have contended in the last year with a mixture of restrictions and allowances on mobility and economic activity. And a study this month from the Blavatnik School of Government at Oxford University and the Center of Excellence and the Canadian Federation at the Institute for, Public, for Research on Public Policy in Montreal looks at the divergent approaches and what works best and worst. I'm pleased today to have Charles Breton, the center's executive director and one of the authors of this report with me. Good to see you. Hi, good to see you too. Well, you know, we're, we're now, I guess, into wave three of this, and, but I wanna get a little bit of a gauge from you on how waves one and two have gone as responses by the provinces and territories. We, you know, we're about a year in now or, or more. What did we do well and, and, and what not at first? Um, uh, that's a good question, and, and it's important, and I think as we reflect upon uh, on the last year, I think it's important to, to remind people that wave one and wave two of this pandemic uh, are completely different beasts, both in terms of, of the cases and where they were and, and the number of cases, uh, and in terms of uh, the measures the provinces put in place. Um, so in terms of cases, when we compare that many provinces did not really have a wave one. Uh, it was mostly uh, Ontario, Quebec was mostly limited to long-term care homes. There was some community cases, but it was mostly an LTC uh, um, uh, um, issue and mostly in, in really in Ontario and Quebec. Other provinces did have cases and did, did have debts in some of their long-term care homes facilities, but not to the same extent that Ontario and Quebec did. But the, the interesting thing is that in that wave, in wave one, we tend to forget it's a year ago, but all provinces kind of reacted the same. Uh, BC is a bit different, but most provinces reacted the same to that first wave, even with limited number of cases, which is they closed down everything. Uh, they closed schools, they closed uh, 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 restaurants, they limited a lot of things. Um, couldn't even go to the park and play with your kids at the park at that time, right? Yeah, no, I, I saw a picture this morning of, of a, you know, from a year ago of a playground with police tape around it. Exactly. So we tend to forget that, but that was the situation in many places last spring. Um, and so uh, that's that was wave one. And then it kind of everyone kind of reopened in the summer to a different extent, but to, everyone kind of reopened. Uh, and it's really when wave two hit in the fall that we started seeing variation in how provinces reacted uh, uh, to cases. That's where we started to see innovation in the kind of measures that provinces did. Again, wave one, everyone kind of did the same. Wave two, you saw provinces like Manitoba, which had really a large increase in cases um, uh, in the fall, coming up with like uh, uh, a rule that you could only go in, in retail store and buy essential goods. Um, and then they had to come up with a list of what an essential good is. Um, so that was kind of new. And then Quebec kind of copied that later on in, in the winter. And so you saw our, all those varying uh, uh, responses to wave two with Alberta and Saskatchewan uh, responded, responding kind of late to increases in cases. Quebec and Ontario, Manitoba uh, 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 responding maybe more swiftly to an increase in cases. So really different, both in terms of uh, what constituted the wave in one wave one and wave two and how provinces reacted to it. 
Yeah, I, mean, I saw a picture this morning, uh, you know, from a year ago, police tape around playgrounds, you know, that exactly. kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So you couldn't even use playgrounds. Schools were closed, restaurants were closed, everything was closed. Um, not everywhere, but in many places. Um, and many provinces never went back to measures as stringent as they were in March, April of 2020. Uh, even if cases were not that, uh, as there wasn't as many cases. Um, and then you saw everyone kind of reopened in the summer uh, to a different extent, but everyone kind of kind of reopened. And then it's really in, in, in last fall, fall of 2020, that we saw a lot of variation in what provinces did. There was a lot of variation in cases as well, but even how provinces reacted to kind of the same level of cases, um, some provinces responded quickly, others waited longer, some provinces, everyone kind of agreed that closing schools was not going to happen anymore, uh, mm-hmm. uh, which was the reaction that everyone had in the spring. But in the fall, everyone kind of decided that they were going to try to keep schools uh, open, uh, sometimes with kind of varying schedule and all that. But it was clear that a complete shutdown was really something that provinces wanted to avoid. Uh but all kinds of other measures, for instance, uh, uh, Manitoba was dealing with a lot of cases uh, in the fall. It was the province that had the most cases per capita in the fall. And they really uh, came in with super stringent measures, uh, including one that seemed weird at the time, which was you can only go to stores, retail stores to buy essential goods. And so people were right. like, OK, but what, what is an essential goods? And so they had to come up with a list. Right. Yeah. So so that's the first province who did that. And then Quebec copied that later in the winter. Uh, but that's one example of kind of the variation. They did that. Saskatchewan did not do that. Alberta did not do that. Ontario, not necessarily either. Right. So you see you saw a lot more variation in what provinces did um, in, in, in the second wave. And then we'll see what happens now with this third wave uh, kind of just getting started. Yeah. So so what I'm kind of wondering about is, uh, this is a federation and so all these different jurisdictions and of course not all of them get along uh, mm-hmm. but uh, but what what prevented us from having a kind of a national approach on this one charles so <clears throat> i mean that's uh that's a good question uh, and i've been asked that question many times my first intuition is always to say why would that have been better that that's the first thing like why would a <laughs> national approach is would have been in theory better than what we did. I'm not sure that's I'm not sure that's the that's the case. Uh, but the one thing I'll say though is that <clears throat> uh, federalism in a case like this one, uh, faced when faced with an issue like a pandemic, federalism does have some advantage, some advantages and some disadvantages. One advantage that it has is that again, provinces can respond to their own context to what's going on in the province at the time, right? Uh, uh, and so for the same reason that even provinces kind of tailor their approach within the province by region because all not all region in the province are facing are faced with the same kind of cases so they tailor with color-coded regions or whatever uh it's the same for uh canada as a whole right so not all province mm-hmm. are faced with the same kind of context nunavut is not saskatchewan or it's not is not pei uh and so it makes sense for provinces to kind of react to their own context also pro- uh, um, uh, federalism allows provinces to innovate, to come up with new measures that other provinces might not have thought of, allows provinces to copy each other if something seems to work, right? So Quebec was the only province to introduce a curfew, which I'm still living under right now in Montreal. I cannot get out of my house after 9.30. It was 8 p.m. in January. 
Uh, that mm-hmm. measure, pro- Quebec was the, was the only province to adopt that. It was not copied by other provinces, but it seemed to have worked here. Might not have worked elsewhere, for instance. Um, um, so, that's, so that's one of the advantages of federalism. Yeah, where you're going to... Your report actually does say that, um, you know, it doesn't look like the benefits of federalism were quite leveraged here. So, so? Uh, yeah, so I was going to say there are, there are definitely, definitely some disadvantage. Uh, disadvantages. Uh, first of all, federalism requires a high level of coordination and cooperation and, and, and discussion that I'm not sure was always there. I mean, of course, public health officials talk to, talk to each other, and I don't think we've ever seen, at least at the executive level, as high uh, as um, uh, the number of relations and the number of phone calls and the number of discussions that we've seen this pandemic, I don't think we've ever seen that before. Like people were, t- of course, people were talking to each other, but in terms yeah. of coming up with solution, in terms of coming up with, with measures, in terms to there, that kind of disentangle, we didn't see a level, the level of coordination that could have been helpful. Again, I think there is a balance that we, we need to find between letting provinces respond to their own context while still allowing them to collaborate and coordinate on some measures. And the Atlantic bubble in that, in, in, in that instance, for instance, is kind of a blueprint for something. Because um, each province was still kind of able to tailor its response and, and adopt this and that measure. But there was still kind of a level of coordination uh, at the level of the bubble that allowed them to control the cases. Um, of course, this approach might not be, I, I don't think you can take it and it cannot travel necessarily to all provinces. But there's something yeah. in there that we didn't see elsewhere. For instance, everything that is related to interprovincial travel between Alberta and BC, right? It was it was more of a conflict than a cooperation there, where there there could have been more of a a, a, a mutual approach to that. Yeah. Did 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 you notice um, uh, really uh, the the temptation of economic activity very very high in the country? Was that really one of the factors that prevented us in a lot of ways from suppressing this? I mean, there's also kind of a different, I I would say that province to province, there might be uh, um, somewhat of a different uh, weight put on restarting Mm -hmm. the economy as soon as possible, which prevents kind of that collaborative uh, impulse, right? So if one province really wants to get restarted, even if cases are kind of not going down that much and then the other wants to be more cautious, then it's kind of hard to, to get together and, and, and figure out something. Um, uh, so in that, in, that, in that respect, I think, I think you, you, you put your finger on it that um, uh, province's willingness to reopen in the, when faced with cases or, or, or um, provinces trying to be more cautious definitely puts a, a added tensions in how uh, uh, they collaborate together. So let's let's kind of move past the first wave because the first, as you write, you know, the first wave hit some and didn't hit others. Um, my inference at the time was that if you weren't hit by the first wave, you didn't think a second wave was coming to you. Absolutely, you, yes. You were going to get past this. Um, I mean, mathematicians and scientists will largely say no. Uh, if you don't get the first wave, a second wave probably will hit you. So, so what did we learn from the first wave, and what what worked and didn't in the second one? Then, uh, so I think so. BC here, I think, is a good example. Um, uh, in the first wave, 
I think people always looked at BC and was like, what is BC doing differently? Like, why is it, why is it doing so well? And, mm-hmm. and, and some, of, some of the answers were like, well, look at the approach that Bonnie and Rhea's taking, right? She's, she's suggesting what people should do. She's, demand, she, she's requesting that people do X or Y, but there's no rules put in place, right? It's, it was more of a, of a discussion and a suggestion and recommendation, and it seemed to work well. So maybe that's it. Maybe if you hammer people with rules, uh, um, they revolt or whatever. They don't respect it, right? So that was they were pointing to that. Well, it turns out that that works when you don't have a lot of cases. Uh, I think it was the causality was the other way around. Uh, right. Where now you yeah. see it like that doesn't work anymore in BC, and and now BC is doing what every other province is doing, which is to you know ramp up the the, the measures. Um, I think that. When we look back on this and we study those waves, the lessons will be different just because the waves are different, right? So the lessons on wave one was really what we, what a kind of a mess long long term care was, um, yeah. and that's where that that's where like all the deaths were in all the case, most of the cases were in wave one, yeah. especially again in Quebec and Ontario. I think this is really wave one will need to be studied as to what not what to do and what not to do in long term care homes. BC clearly had a much better way of dealing with its, with, with, with its long-term care homes, was able to limit the, the damages there, um, uh, uh, especially in terms of, of how um, uh, people working in long-term care homes travel from one, one home to the other, uh, things like that. Uh, wave two is much more, is much trickier. Uh, and here we hope, and that's another thing that I talk about when I, I'm talking about these data and, and this, this paper, is that most of these people, most of the, the people who worked on this project, uh, this project, whether at Oxford or at, or at the IRPP, were mostly political scientists or policy people. And mm-hmm. so we hope that this data on each of these measures over the whole pandemic period, that which are publicly available, are used by health officials and health uh, researchers and epidemiologists to really look at this second wave where there was a lot of variation in what provinces were doing and a lot of variation in the number of cases and look at what worked and what didn't, right? With more sophisticated analysis. We can, it's kind of, you can eyeball it some, somewhat, right? And kind of say, okay, Manitoba acted when it needed to act in October, November. Alberta and Saskatchewan waited way too long in the fall uh, to act. So you can eyeball it, but I think what we'll need to do to happen looking back on this wave two and possibly wave three as well, the way it's going, is to really drill down on each of these individual measures that provinces have enacted and see which which one of these really had an impact and which one of these in the end was just fluff. It, it wasn't there, but it didn't do anything. Do, do you think, is there a kind of a best of breed kind of thing that it's emerged out of all this? Is there, is there something that appears to almost universally work? in the way of uh, concerted I mean, public policy yeah. and health policy? I think it varies a bit from province to province, but I think that right now, um, the message that we're kind of getting more and more from epidemiologists and people working on this is that the, the issue is really where people are meeting in close quarters. So every measure that will stop people from meeting at other people's home um, will be helpful. Um, yeah. So here in Quebec, the curfew, and that that was the reason for the curfew, was that it was the easiest way to make sure that people couldn't meet with other people uh, inside. You cannot get out of your house after eight. Uh, and 
now I think it's kind of a consensus that it worked, that it, it was able, that Quebec was able to curb its cases in the winter in big part because of the curfew. I'm not sure it would have yeah. had the same effect everywhere, but here I think now it's kind of a consensus that, that it worked. Yeah. You're a, you're a PhD in political science from UBC. So uh, give us your, uh, give us your gauge on how BC has fared. So again, I think BC, how BC has fared so far, the answer is very well. But I think that the answer on BC, the real answer we will get in the coming weeks, coming months, uh, because it's now. I think this is now when we'll see what whether BC deals with what's coming up well or not. The variants yeah. are, go, are coming up. No, cases numbers are coming up. And this is really where, you know, uh, uh, things things can be. Sadly, this is yeah. when we can really tell whether whether the provinces handles it well or not. Um, it's also yeah. interesting that, again, if you look back on wave one, um, people were always all adamant that uh, 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 and pointing out how the messaging coming from Bonnie Henry and Adrian Dix was clear that uh, uh, things were communicated well. And then all of it, that's again, that's easy when you don't have a lot of cases. And then when you start to have those cases and you start also trying to regionalize, having color-coded color -coded regions or, or trying to tailor the approach to what's going on in zone X or Y, every province, when it got to that point, all of a sudden, oops, the messaging was not as clear and, and there was more confusion and, and BC was not, uh, did not avoid that. Yeah, I, I don't know whether, you know, your, your ambit and studying and all of this extends into uh, the kind of sense of personal frustration that people have, and of course their mental fatigue in in obeying some guidelines and, and even rules for a year now. But what worries you about about the 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 exceptions that appear to be taking place here and and elsewhere in the country, where people are just saying, you know, I'm, I'm tired of being told what to do. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm. You know you're inconsistent. Um, guess what? Like I, I'm, I'm just not going to pay a whole lot of attention to you day by day anymore. Yeah. So there's two things here. Uh, first, we did uh, do some preliminary analysis, and I know that other people have worked on something like this, uh, looking at uh, trying to get some kind of behavior measures as to how people were following or not using mobility data from Apple or Google or whatever. Um, yeah. And so far, it does look like across the country, like it had an effect, like people were indeed limiting their movement in response to uh, to the measures. So it's not that people were not um, uh, complying with them. I think overall, and we cannot say here's a province where people did not comply and here's one where they did they, they better, they complied better. I think across the board, people in general were complying with the measures. Uh, but again, um, it's been more than a year now. Uh, and uh, if the vaccines are not ramping up uh, and if cases keep going up or, or even stall, if we get a plateau when the measures need to stay in place with the summer coming up, uh, it's not going to be easy. I mean, everyone is just tired of this yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and, and, and uh, really looking forward to being able to see family and, and, and friends. Yeah, I mean, last area. I mean, we seem to be in a race right now between the vaccines and the variants, right? Yes. And like in terms of what we're going to get, uh, or how how we're going to do in all of this. What what kind of um, 
lessons from the first year you think are valid for policymakers to apply now that we're into the second in terms of engendering the best behavior? Yeah, so um, I think it's it's still a, a bit early to tell, but what I would say though is I think, again, a lot of it comes down to the messaging. I think if you're, um, that, that's one also one of the problem with maybe moving too fast on reopening is then then you start doing the yo-yo and people don't know when what foot to stand, right? So I think I would be much more careful in reopening, even when things are going a bit better, just because you don't want to open, close, open, close, open, close. That's when people at some point just get tired of all this, right? Because there's no rhyme or reasons to what you're, they feel like there's no rhyme or reason to what you're doing. Um, so so that's one. I, I think the yo-yo is also uh, 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 making people uh, confused. Again, the color-coded kind of tailored approach by region adds some confusion. So there's a lot of in the messaging I think will also need to be studied. And it's also interesting, uh, and I know some people are working on this right now, how from province to province, who is the voice of those measure, behind those measures has varied a lot, right? So in BC, uh, it's Bonnie Henry, and Adrian Dix is there most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Ontario, it's Rob Ford. Here in Quebec, it's everyone in the sense that it's always the premier, public health official, and the, the health minister. And so you've seen, and in Alberta, it's varied. Sometimes it's Dina Insha, sometimes it's Jason Kenney. But province to province, who is the voice of the measures has varied between the political and the public health officials. So how that impacts the clarity of the message or the reception of the message will need, will be interesting to, to study. Um, I should ask you because you're, you're, I think you're in the cohort that uh, the premier talked about. When, when the premier basically tells people in the 20 to 39 cohort, don't blow it for everybody else. Good message. I don't think so. Uh, I'm in the court until next week, but yes, <laughs> uh, um, um, no, it's really not. And I think he tried to. I think he tried to walk that back somehow, uh, just a bit later on. Um, yeah. Again, I don't. I don't. I don't think you want to start. Uh, I think it's clear though on some activities, right? So, like again, don't go in other people's house, right? So I don't think you need to single an age, single out an age group. I think you want to tell people clearly what they shouldn't do and what they can do, but I don't think you need to go go in and and, and point to a specific group who's doing something or not doing something. Yeah, look, fascinating research that you're on top of here. Uh, this must be. Uh... Must be quite a time to do research and in all this. This is very fertile ground. I want to thank you for your time today, Charles. It was my pleasure. Charles Breton is the executive director at the Institute for Research and Public Policy. I'm Kurt LePoint. Thanks a lot for watching DIV today. We'll see you again. <laughs>